Welcome back to this week's installment of Expand Your Mind and Be Kind. Thanks for joining Ryan and I on our adventure, and I hope everyone enjoys our episode. Thank you. Today's quote is from Martin Luther King Jr. When we look at a modern man, we have to face the fact that modern man suffers from a kind of poverty of the spirit, which stands in glaring contrast with the scientific and technological abundance. We've learned to fly the air as birds. We've learned to swim the seas as fish. Yet we haven't learned to walk the earth as brothers and sisters. Jim. Ryan. Welcome. <laughs> oh wait, we're doing a different <laughs> presidential wars. Yeah, duel the... of the fates. <laughs> so Ryan, our topic this week is season two. The first episode of season two of the world famous Jim and I podcast. (laughs) That's exactly right. Or at least famous within our worlds. (laughs) I mean, it's world famous amongst two people, at least. Mm -hmm. So that that pretty much that you could just spread that around. That's statistics for you. Yeah, absolutely. What are we talking about today? Who? Uh, we're talking about the state of affairs in the current election process that is going on right now. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, this is a hefty topic. Where would you like to start? Um, first, I want to make a plug for my candidate, Kanye West. Recount the votes. Recount the votes. <laughs> yeah. I am actually Me too. I'm I am completely kidding. That that poor man. I feel sorry for him sometimes. Yeah. Um, but no. I think you and I have talked a little bit about this previously. Um I think we it's we just need to talk about some things, man. Like what is going on? There is so many firsts in this election that let's go ahead. Go ahead, Ryan. No, so I, I one just immediately glaring thing to me is the turnout. I mean, yeah, we are in a pandemic and had the highest voter turnout of any election for president in United States history. That is incredible in a lot of good ways. Yes, it's wild. Yeah, I mean, that shows that people are activated. You know, people are excited about getting their voice heard. And and whether this is just people have had more time on their hands (laughs) to think about things, um, or it's people just care more about this state of things right now, that's, it's just cool to see that. That's kind of like a silver lining for me. I'm very happy to see that kind of turnout. Me too. I mean, and I think... You know, it, there's just so much going on. People have become mobilized because they have been personally affected, whether it be the 
the pandemic, whether it be like the state of our foreign affairs or our policies at home, the actions of our current White House, like people are up in arms because they see all of, they see things around them being affected in a very real way. So what do you think was like, uh, and I know there's no silver bullet here, but what's, what's like the biggest thing that you think has had an impact on people voting? I think the pandemic has been the biggest one. I being in healthcare and seeing the, the pandemic firsthand, I think we as Americans are not proud of the fact that we are finally first in the world at something, but it's yeah. not good. We not by good. far are the number one in the world for infection rates and deaths from COVID-19. And we, there's a lot of people out there who think that we could have done more. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I'd take a moment to, say thank you to you and also all of our first line workers that are helping to take care of people throughout the pandemic and provide them care and comfort and, uh, and also send condolences to anybody who's been affected by a loss of a family member or friend. Um, I don't know if we've said that on the podcast, but I think that's something that's important to note. It should go without saying, but I think that's, that's something that, that I think Jim and I both sincerely send out to everyone. Agreed. Personally, know people who have died. So, well said. Yeah. Ryan. Yeah. Um, so, what, what's okay, another so thing? Like, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, so, well, okay. One more thing. What was uh, what was your question here? Uh, I was just going to ask you, like, what's another thing that's surprising about the election right now that you are like, what? Or oh, I, I guess that's kind of what I, I was going to. I was going to say too. I would say it's it's absolutely wild that you know we've had so many mail-in votes this year for obvious reasons. We're in a pandemic. I mean, record number of mail-in and absentee ballots were turned in this year and it showed. But it's just the fact that there's a clear winner. But oh, yeah. the incumbent is fighting it tooth and nail with the justice department and his own private lawyers and just like how he's refusing to cooperate is refusing to admit that he lost because holy cow, if his pride can't handle that, um, it's just absolutely wild. No. Yeah. I think uh, it sets a, a kind of a dangerous precedent for moving forward with uh, conceding elections too. Right. Um, and, and, and really thinking about it, like pulling it away from a personal level and just saying, I'm, I'm going to cast doubt on what I would consider. And I haven't had a lot of firsthand experience, but what I would consider a very delicate, detailed um careful process of not only voting um, every time that I've gone to vote, every step of the way has been very coordinated and collaborative with the poll workers, but let alone like actually counting the ballots. I mean, that, that kind of stuff seems, and there's a lot of transparency now compared to elections in the past, because a lot of them live stream counting 
Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that We're you, allowed, can sit, you want to sit there for 72 hours mm-hmm. on a live stream watching people watch count counting. ballots. You can. <laughs> and, and, uh, observers are a hundred percent allowed and almost even encouraged in most of the accounting centers. So it's just, it's, I don't know. It's frustrating, but also it, objectively, it's frustrating. Like no matter yeah, what your political leaning is, um, I, there, there, there's plenty of concern and frustration, and even in some cases, outrage on both sides of the aisle of mm-hmm. of the political spectrum that are confused um, about why why things are going the way they are right now. But um, right. yeah, like you said, 2020, the year of nothing really making sense and the year of first for so many things <laughs> um yeah. so i think i think first thing we should let's talk about quickly is maybe the process of mail-in ballots and absentee voting like is it actually like is it allowed <laughs> is it legal is it a normal part of our election let's look at the civil war when absentee ballots were first created <laughs> Yeah, um, for that's, soldiers, yeah, the the army was participating in that. I mean, what that's that's 150 years ago almost, right? It has been the traditional way that the armed services have been able to vote abroad, um, and then yep. many Americans take advantage of it at home if they are sick or if they're. You know, they, they they work a very busy schedule and know they can't make it to polls. Um, or in this case, the reason why we've had so many record number of mail-in ballots is because we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're in the middle of another spike in, of infections. People requested to vote from home. So, yeah. This, yeah, so it's just the idea of, of saying that is it's a sham and that it's a scam and that mail-in voting is not legal is absolutely ludicrous yep 100 percent. to air an additional grievance <laughs> mm-hmm. election day is not a national holiday and i believe firmly that it should be and i feel that employers should compensate their workers for at least like part-time payments so they can go to the polls and if they choose to do that you know right. that, that i think moving forward there could be more of a shift to absentee and mail-in voting um, in the future, just, just, just because of the convenience of it. It's a lot uh-huh. more convenient to just fill out your ballot and drop it in a drop box, even if you don't want to mail it in, than to stand in a long line at the polls to right to know. get your chance to vote. You know, yeah. some people, a lot of people, don't have that luxury. I've, I I've uh, heard a really interesting suggestion of. You know, moving forward, you know, as our processes become more technologically up to date, um, using your phone or electrical electronic devices to vote, you know, having a secure login for a a national database, uh, you just log on, cast your vote, and on election night, we get all of the no, no hundreds and thousands of workers need to spend time voting. It all gets tallied automatically, and you can't change it or retract it. Right. I think the the because re- I've I've done some reading up on that, and I think the concern is a security concern because you know what if the data becomes corrupted or 
Um, what if or somebody like does some sort of like interference of some kind? But um, I think there's definitely merit to that, at least giving people the option to, yeah, to do something with their phone. I, I think at some point that'll be an inevitability rather than a right. possibility. There will definitely need to be some things that come first, like uh, developing a absolutely foolproof system, um, making sure that, you know, it, it, there, it can't be exploited easily. Right. But, you know, we're not there yet. But that's, I just thought that was an interesting uh, article I read that using your, using technology in the future to vote would solve yeah. a lot of these issues and a lot of this um, un- uncertainty. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So yeah. next, maybe we should talk about, let's, let's talk about like what is happening in the White House right now. Ooh, uh, that's a juicy convo. The hot goss. The hot goss. Dude. Like, <laughs> we have multiple, we have several lawsuits all over the country, many of which are being shut down. I think actually the numbers are like about half of them now have been disbarged. But it means many of them are still standing. Um, and it's just it's like wild, the process of suing states that's a, recounts the thing that's blowing my mind about all of it is you're gonna make you're gonna have a lawsuit but you don't have evidence to support what you're suing for so i mean do you i'm no law expert <laughs> uh but shouldn't you have that done before figure. you decide to go sue somebody i figure that would probably be a good thing to have well let's let's give these lawyers the benefit of the doubt they advised the president that this was a fool move and yet he still ordered it done so there's that sure yeah um actually there's there's one case specifically it happened in pennsylvania it was at the pennsylvania or the philadelphia federal court uh a court case, the transcript went something like this. The court case was uh, the attorney said that uh, the observers were not allowed close enough to the worker, the election workers in the counting facilities. Uh, and they, actually, he said that they weren't even being allowed in, and then this was not constitutional. And the judge asked, were there election or were there observers in the election facility and the lawyer paused and said there is a non-zero number of workers in the election facility <laughs> and the, the judge was basically like you've got to be kidding me yeah. oh yeah oh yeah i think uh, I, yeah that's that's crazy i mean that yeah that's absolutely absurd but i feel like that's almost just kind of posturing like I, I think it's some sort of like rally, a rally cry to people who are also seemingly upset by the election. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, it what is more dangerous than these lawsuits is 
the kind of precedent that, that, that they're setting. Like what, what's going to do more damage is not these lawsuits that will probably most likely just fizzle out in the courts, but the fact that it'll give more credence to basically the president's call of unfairness and of foul play to his right. supporters. And think of you know, think of the damage that could do, you know, whether it's protests or uh, the repercussions that could come. You know, you get like a couple of hardcore, um, you know, radical supporters. They might do something absolutely terrible. Yeah. Based on this perception, based on this call for action from his supporters, right? Um, so, like, let, yeah, let me ask you a question about that. So, I've been struggling personally throughout this whole experience of um, the election to not generalize, <laughs> not be. To, to say or think mean things or, or that kind of thing about people who have supported him. Um, but I think the nuance of this conversation is there's a difference between a fanatical supporter of someone and someone who just chose to vote for him. Right. And I, I would love to hear your thoughts on how can people stop dehumanizing each other and make it more about we may have a disagreement, but this is something that we can still come together and eat together think, and have a rational conversation. I think the president elect definitely said some things on that matter that were very heartening to hear, but honestly, we've spent the last four years being constantly almost really forced against each other, you know, like accusation after accusation, rhetoric after rhetoric, tweet after tweet. (laughs) Yeah. We have, we have been poised against each other. And I think some radical, not radical, some major stepping back and looking around will do us wonders. So you think maybe some some space, like giving people some space to reflect yeah. and I think do some healing. I think it was very um, honorable by the, the the Biden campaign to not gloat yeah. and not declare victory too early. There was a lot of patience there. Um, there was a lot of grace. It was very presidential. (laughs) And let's, let's not neglect to call out that Kamala Harris will be the first woman vice president and vice president of color and Asian, uh, South Asian descent and African American. It's pretty awesome. She is a, she's a whammy. She's an anomaly, which is wonderful. And she has the chops. Like she is such an eloquent, gifted speaker, and she's a smart person, and she has a lot of relevant experience to be warm but firm. You know, you know who she reminds me of. 
Um, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Theodore Rex, it, it, the the books about D- Teddy Roosevelt. Uh-huh. And I'm sure there's people that will turn over in their graves by the analogy, but I think uh, Kamala Harris really reminds me of Teddy Roosevelt's personality. You know, speak softly, but carry a big stick. Yeah, there's a... She is... Yeah. She is very charismatic, very um, diplomatic, but also at the same time, she will lay it on the line if it comes to it. Yeah, and I think it's like uh, give people power and that reveals their character um, I I feel like, gosh, just the amount of like trepidation and respect that they both have shown throughout this whole process. Now, don't get me wrong. There's been some kind of like vitriolic language throughout the campaign just to more point out like, look how terrible this has been done. Um, but, but I don't feel like it was ever about the person specifically. It was more about the actions of the person or the, the inaction. Um, right. And, and that's, it's difficult, right? Because it's when one party insists on playing rough or mean and saying awful things that what's the expression? Like if you roll around with the pu- with a pig in the mud, you'll both get dirty, but the pig likes right. it. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. so it's like, you can't, you can't do that. But when you go for the high road, that can also backfire at the same time, too, because then you want to be inclusive. So if you say something that could be taken offensively, you kind of walk it back in certain cases. So it's a fine line. Yeah, it's it's tough. It is. It's tough to have that perspective, but it's it's worth trying for. I mean, we're all imperfect. We're going to make mistakes and say things we shouldn't have. But right. We're human. Right. Nobody's perfect. I think I think that's always been such a a funny thing to me. Even when I was a little kid, because I was, you know, I had a very politically active family. It's like how much people spent, how much time they spent pointing out the faults of their candidates. But it's like it's so ironic. It's like we all have faults. We're all pretty at some levels. We're shitty people sometimes. Oh yeah. Um, and by pointing that out it's just like ah look at your human <laughs> you suck <laughs> how dare it's always it's always made me laugh i don't know why i think the the challenge with like with that perspective is is it's like yeah it's good to acknowledge that as well but accepting all of that is like well that's just the way people are it can also be dangerous because then you start to excuse people's behavior as well they're human um true so they're so, so you have to take things for what they're worth, mm-hmm. but you also have to have standards for your life ethically, morally, those different kinds of things. So if you're constantly spending time with people that you on a moral, ethical level don't align with, and most people's stances on a lot of that stuff don't change too much, then you, you do also have to respect yourself enough to think, well, maybe I should spend True. my time elsewhere or yeah that kind of thing it's about that it's about treading that straight narrow road like it you just yeah it's about it's about balance it's about consistency too right like the more Mm -hmm. you try yeah the more more often that you try to do something the better off you're gonna be agreed yeah so 
All right. So, you know, going past the lawsuits, let's talk about the fact that the president just fired a good old portion of the civilian staff of the Pentagon. Yeah. Uh, and replaced it with people who are cronies of his. I mean, there's, there's no walking around that everybody he appointed, um, are out like uh, outwardly and very unashamedly big fans of him. Isn't that, it's, it's, it's wild to me. Like, what is this? What is he doing? What is his thought process here? Yeah, um, I think a lot of it is kind of sabotage. I mean, I I don't like to think ill of people, but he has a pretty consistent track record of doing things to stick it to his opponents. And I think it's uh, an exercise of raw power and futility, frankly. Um, But but I, I also think that it could just be a morale boost to himself. These are more people who right. agree with me. These are more people who think that the deck has been stacked against me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've read some things that, like, even, like, the Pentagon itself, uh, there's some... Uh, who was it that said... Um, I don't have that quote in front of me, but, but essentially it was, uh, this is the most like unprecedented thing that's ever happened in the Pentagon. Like, this is like firing all kinds of, of alarms for like a dictator move. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think there's always, and I say always, I think there's a, often a lot of hyperbolic language in, in the media, mm-hmm. and that's to grip you to read stuff about what's going on um but i don't think this specific example can be understated um i i think when you have to deal with national security and you have to deal with intelligence um even even if those specific people did not have access to top secret information or confidential information they Mm -hmm. still work in a building where that stuff is right like there's right there's a, a level of security there. So I, there, I, that's not the first time that I've heard that explanation for some of mm-hmm. the actions. I personally don't think that's what he's trying to do. I think he mm-hmm. is, it has become so unaware of his narcissism that he is just doing things because it's like pandering to his ego and, mm-hmm that he doesn't acknowledge or understand that that's what he's doing. I personally believe that. I, 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 I agree with that. I feel like it's a, it's like you picture a king in his castle and it's under siege right now, but he doesn't want to think about that. So he calls all of his closest, uh, I don't know, lords and ladies into his room so they can all, throw a party or something and and feel good about themselves but the castle's burning so right it's like a it's it's like de- denial to the extreme yeah but um so there's that um what else is happening 
Um, the Biden, uh, I, I about said the Biden campaign, uh, president elect Joe Biden and president, uh, vice president elect Kamala Harris have been doing some speaking about, uh, they've assembled a coronavirus task force, which is it mm-hmm. exciting to me to see a welcoming back of an acknowledgement of science and medical expertise to dealing with something like a pandemic and the people that he has on, we actually um, have had some conversations about him. Um, Vivek Murthy. Yeah. I saw he's, that. he's one of the, the top advisors for that. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very, very excited to see what comes of that. They have a pretty detailed plan um, that of course they can't do anything about it until January 20th, but but it's, it's nice to see, yeah. right? It's nice to see that he's he's doing more right now than the current administration has done since the onset of the pandemic. It's also really nice to see that the world almost kind of breathed a sigh of relief. Like he has talked with many uh, allies from around the world: uh, Angela Merkel, uh, Boris Johnson. Yes, Boris Johnson, um, <laughs> Emmanuel Macron, um, Justin Trudeau, like all of them have contacted Biden, congratulated him and, you know, wished for a very cooperative and fruitful um, partnership in the future, which is, is nice to see that the world isn't scared yeah where we're going so what what did you i don't know if i even asked you this the day of or days after uh what did you think and how did you feel about the the speeches that were given the acceptance or um i guess acknowledgement of of winning from kamala and biden i think that um that swings into our be kind this week um I think what they said was was probably the is what we as a nation need right now. So if for those who didn't watch the speech or or d- didn't hear about it, um, it's probably his most memorable line from the speech. This is Biden. He said, for all of those who voted for President Trump, I understand the disappointment tonight. I've lost a couple times myself, but now let's give each other a chance. Um, you know, he's at, so some people, a lot of people don't know that Biden's actually ran for president two times before, 1988 and 2008. Um, and he lost he, both times. He didn't even get close to being nominated. Um, yeah. But, you know, he's, he's, he's a man who spent most of his life in politics, you know, fighting for his state. Yes, he has some baggage for his policies, but if anyone's been in politics as long as he had, he's probably yeah. Somebody's going to make some some decisions that are less than optimal, or in retrospect, right. were exactly not as good as they could have been. But the man, the man has like, you know, he's had a life of grief and loss, and he has he's overcome a lot of things in his life. He's he's a weathered human being which i think he has a ton of empathy as well and that's going to mm -hmm. be a huge asset (laughs) well so so his next his next 
you know, most notable thing he said is, quote, it's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again, and make progress. We have to stop treating our opponents as our enemies. They are not enemies. They are Americans. They are Americans. Gosh, that is, like, it, doesn't that just make you feel it, it, it's the base relief, but it also gives you hope. They have somebody that's it's trying like, to not stoke fires of division. Right. It, it's almost like we're, we've become so like desensitized to the current. Like numb. Become, <laughs> yeah, yeah, numb. And it's just like, what? People are speaking empathetically again? That's weird. And, and then Kamala had some really... Uh, she opened up the speech and she, man she said some really cool things man you know what let's call um, out really quick that most president elect do not give their vp an opportunity to speak let alone before them right so anyway i just wanted to emphasize that before you continued well actually i don't have any direct quotes from her i not in the article that I pulled up for that one. But um, essentially what she said was, this is a first. This is a time to turn a new page in our history because, you know, she is not only the first woman in the White House as a vice president, she's also the first woman of color. Yep. Um, and it's just, it's, I, I mean, I, I, can, I can't even imagine how many women uh, when this was announced, just breathe the sigh of relief. How many young girls, you know, thought like, "Man, this today, this or like in the future, this could be me." Like, she she just put the bar up there. And one thing that she said that stuck out to me was, she said, "I may be the first woman in this office, but I won't be the last." And I thought yes. that was such a like powerful line that she delivered. I thought that was really cool. I, it it was. Uh, I I got chills watching that that spe- the speeches they gave, but you know we're the current state of things right now. Um, we have one side that's trying to kind of bridge the gap and be open and look to healing, and we have the other side that's looking to dig in, you know, the chew on the bit and and fight, which is very starkly contrasted right and then our be kind we would we would hope and call that all of you would you know look to the former you know we have we have spent the last four years slowly turning on each other and being set against each other in the most ridiculous ways i think not only just our country, but the world could use a little bit of stepping back and seeing, really seeing the other person, the opposition, and be willing to work with them. I think those are wonderful words. Jim, do you want to take a quick break, and then we will be right back? Yes, sir. All right.
America, America, <laughs> the land with the best ride recommendations. <laughs> we'll see. <clears throat> so, um, my recommendation in the spirit of unity, as Jim mentioned in the Be Kind, we thought that having a recommendation about food, food is something that people can enjoy together. And that could be a, a bridge too close, right? For uh, helping to repair some of the, maybe the damage that was done between you and loved ones, or even you and friends that may have disagreed on the outcome of the election or just in general right now going through some, some tough times. So this recipe is called hot and numbing stir fried potatoes and it is and it is a recipe from the new york times cooking which i'm a huge fan of um and it is inspired by a street snack so in uh xian china they do a did you say china (laughs) yeah And uh, the nice thing about these potatoes is you only have to stir fry them uh, for a few minutes before you serve. And it's full of spices and aromatics, which is really nice because, you know, you get the smells and the spice. Um, so anyway, uh, to give you a couple the literal of... literal best. <laughs> right. Uh, give you a little bit of an insight and we'll share their recipe in the show notes, but... Um, you really only need for the potatoes, you just need the potatoes. So uh, recommend two pounds of small yellow new potatoes, and then you want to scrub and rinse them. Um, for the spice blend, you're going to have, I'm just going to list all the ingredients out here because there aren't too many. Um, you want red Szechuan peppercorns. You want an anise pod, star anise pod. You want fennel seeds, white peppercorns, or ground white pepper, cumin, you want dried red hot chilies. You can also substitute red pepper flakes, kosher salt, granulated sugar, powdered chicken bouillon, and toasted sesame seeds. And to stir fry, you want uh, four garlic cloves and two scallions. And you want the garlic minced and the scallions chopped into half inch pieces. And you want to fry it in peanut, rice bran, or soybean if you want to make it authentic to the Chinese traditional street dish. So, yeah, um, it's it. The reason why I brought this up as well is because for uh, Thanksgiving, if you wanted to kind of change up your potato serving, um, spice up things this is an option. Yeah, well, because yeah, we all know spicy. <laughs> we all know how just unifying Thanksgiving meal can be amongst family. <laughs> right, right. You'll never I'm talk just, about anything controversial. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have a feeling that Thanksgiving is just going to be a doozy. Oh man, it's gonna be interesting. That's for sure. But um, so, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say beyond Thanksgiving, which traditionally has a has a a name for itself. I do think meals are very unifying. You know, when people share food together when they break bread together. Um, yeah, it it's an experience. One hundred percent. So what were you saying, Ryan? I interrupted. Um, no, I was just going to outline some of the instructions, but rather than bore everybody with that, I think I will 
rather leave everybody with some parting words for just right now to address kind of the feeling that people are having with the recommendation of it's also okay to be upset and experience some pretty heavy emotions about things um but when you take a step back and you find something that you care about and that you're passionate about and for Jim and I it's cooking um you know find something that you can kind of use as a way to reconnect with something that you care about and that you love because ultimately this is a moment in time that's very difficult for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons um but it, it but it also should be a time where you can acknowledge and respect that feeling that you're having within yourself and also that other people are having. So anyway, that's all I wanted to say, but um, I hope you all will try the recipe. I've never personally made it, but it sounds amazing and I am looking forward to trying it. So well said, Ryan, and me too. I am, I am all for Szechuan peppercorns and I'm always down to switch up Thanksgiving. Yeah, so if you have a lot of family members out there with acid reflux or issues... Got that GERD. (laughs) Oh, my GERD. I'm totally kidding. Um, But, yeah. Right on. Well, uh, Jim, do you have anything else you want to add before we end this first episode of Season 2? I think your recommendation sounds beautiful. I'm definitely going to be trying it. Honestly, I think I'm going to make it for Thanksgiving. Boom, baby. Um... And we'll navigate these weird, troubling times together. Could not agree more, my friend. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for being with us and look forward to seeing you next week. Goodbye. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to it as much as Jim and I enjoy making it. If you'd like to subscribe, we will be sending out future content uh, within the coming weeks, months, and years. So feel free to do that, and we'd love to have you around. And Ryan, don't forget we're on social media. Oh, that's right. We are on Twitter at ExpandMind, be kind, and that is the letter B. Uh, And then uh, we are also on Gmail. If you want to send us an email, it's uh, expand your mind and be kind at gmail.com. Yeah, send us questions or any thoughts that anyone may have, and uh, can't wait till the next episode. Like Dr. Dre. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>